What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome back to this medical podcast in English for non-native speakers. My name is Alice Byram and I am a family and emergency medicine doctor. This podcast is brought to you by the Catalan Institute of Medical Education and Leadership, or IFMIL. When you think of the traditional image of a doctor outside of a hospital or a consulting room, he or she always carries a bag. Much like Mary Poppins' carpet bag, it is full of magical instruments. Apart from a stethoscope, this could also have included a sphingometer to measure the blood pressure and maybe a couple of syringes to administer an all-curing medication. Times have changed and today we have different instruments, but their objective remains the same, to be a diagnostic aid at the bedside. This is especially true in rural and remote areas where a transfer to a local hospital may be complicated and time-consuming. However, it is also true for patients with decreased mobility in an urban setting. These are the patients who already receive the home visits instead of coming in to see their GP at the surgery. The concept of the digital doctor's bag describes a combination of digital medicine devices linked to a smartphone or tablet. It also includes decision aid apps and even the electronic health record or EHR. The EHR means that the healthcare professional has access to all the patient's notes and results on the go, even those of other specialists. Emergency visits, whether by a GP or a pre-hospital service, also benefit from having a digital doctor's bag. This may mean the difference between transferring a patient to a hospital or keeping them at home. The obvious example is an ECG being recorded and being sent straight through to the cath lab and cardiologist on call. If the patient doesn't fulfil cath lab criteria, they may well be transferred to their local hospital instead of being sent further afield. But some of the devices are used by the healthcare professional in situ. The portability and decrease in the cost of handheld ultrasound machines have made them very much more accessible. Ultrasound does remain operator independent and obviously rule in, not rule out. Traditional stethoscopes are replaced by digital stethoscopes which record and analyse heart sounds to provide a visual representation. Listening then becomes optional. Portable spirometers is an add-on to a smartphone which then adds the information to the patient's own records can reduce clinic visits for chronic patients. They can also empower patients to identify and manage their exacerbation in combination with their healthcare professional at a distance. Digital dermatoscopes are another welcome addition to the doctor's bag. Working with high-quality augmented images, you can diagnose yourself, send to a dermatologist colleague for a second opinion, or even let the artificial do it, intelligence do it for, for you. 
in 2018, Hensel et al. concluded that deep learning convolutional neural networks outperformed even dermatologists when it came to melanoma identification, that all healthcare professionals, no matter what their level, could benefit from this technology. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, there has been a fear of machines taking over our work and medicine is no different. There can be a feeling among digital health enthusiasts that doctors are anti-innovation and that they will have to invent themselves or be left behind. Nothing further from the truth in a profession where lifelong learning is a part of the course and having to think on your feet with every patient is the norm. What is true is that clinicians need to see a validated use for their digital health solutions and that not may, may not be the use that the developers initially had in mind. Another aspect is that there is the mantra, first do no harm, which is never far from any clinician's mind, and that reticence to adopt new technology is often coupled to a very real and not theoretical realisation that it is people's life and health which are at risk if they don't work. Every medication prescribed has been through stringent, ongoing safety process. And even then, as we sign digitally or with a pen, we do it knowing that there is always a risk-benefit balance to our decision. It is not a dinosaur mentality which prevents clinicians unthinkingly adopting every new shiny digital health solution we are presented with. Instead, it is our primary function of being the patient's advocate and therefore making sure the risk-benefit is in their favour. Digital health technology, including lifestyle apps, don't require clinical evidence to be released, and the need for them to be regulated is discussed in episode one of this third series. Digital medicine software or hardware that intervenes and measures human health do need clinical evidence. Furthermore, when it comes to digital therapeutics in which the technology delivers an intervention, that evidence needs to be not only clinical, but also based on real-world outcomes. This leads to the question, how can we get valid digital medicine solutions into our daily practice? Dr. Cesar Morcillo at the Sanitas Hospital in Barcelona has been looking at this. He argues that this is our opportunity to make the change to a patient-centred care and also to expand it to health workers who, as we are seeing in the current pandemic, can quickly become patients in themselves. The power of these digital solutions, whether on the ward or in the hospital or at home after they have been discharged, is the ability to relay the information 24 hours, not just a snapshot of the time the doctor and nurse are at the bedside. Digital solutions have to be agile and responsive to patient needs. Aim for a good enough attitude to the first version, which is then perfected in response to feedback from real patients and clinicians. This feedback needs to be complemented with, with data and evidence-based. The ability to harvest patient data and work with it in this way directly benefits the patient to whom the data belongs. Medicine is not a solitary practice, and working in a transversal manner with other teams leads to better integration of digital health solution. It also leads to improvement as they too will feed back on what works and what can be done based, better based on their expertise. If the mindset is that of improving a service rather than implementing a technology, the introduction of new digital solutions is more likely to be successful. Often successful innovation comes from healthcare professionals themselves. 
being best placed to see the problem firsthand, they can then suggest solutions which work for their population within the framework of the services they already offer. One example of this is the Fracture Clinic at the Royal Sussex County Hospital in Brighton, England. A physiotherapist and an orthopaedic surgeon saved an NHS over a half a million pounds by enabling fracture and soft tissue injuries to be followed up virtually. As an emergency medicine doctor, I would see patients in the emergency department, x-ray if necessary, and then treat and discharge. Previously, the patient would then have had to come back to a fracture clinic at a hospital with terrible parking and access. Even more complicated for for patients with injuries which decrease their mobility. Now their details would be entered into the virtual fracture clinic referral with contact details, physical examination and management plan from the emergency department. All of these patients get reviewed within 24 hours by an orthopaedic surgeon and receive a video message from the consultant or phone call. Further follow-up can also be virtual. Only patients really needing face-to-face contact have to come in. An example of innovation from within. This system has been extended to other hospitals. Although this is a model that existed in other parts of the world, the fact that it was introduced by colleagues and not externally, giving a real solution to a real problem, meant that the uptake was smoother. All hospitals, whether in Spain or the NHS, have an innovation team. They are tasked with helping clinicians to transform their clinical solutions into reality. They have the experience and team to support clinicians who may otherwise be reticent to take on the non-clinical aspects of digital transformation. If you have an idea, it is worth contacting them, even if you don't want to take on the project yourself. As a practicing clinician, you are best placed to see what problems and frustrations affect your day-to-day practice and offer suggestions for solutions from within. COVID-19 has accelerated the acceptance of digital health technologies, as has been mentioned in previous episodes. Telemonitoring and video consults are becoming the new norm, and there will be no turning back. As Eric Topol says, machines won't replace physicians, but physicians using AI will soon replace those not using it. If you want to find out more about digital health tools for your doctor's bag, especially in primary care, why not sign up for the IFMIL's online course in Spanish by Dr. Miguel Molina de Eras? And if you want to learn more from the experience of an up and running digital health hospital, follow at CR Morcillo Serra on Twitter or take Dr. Cesar Morcillo's digital transformation course in Spanish, also on the IFMIL platform where you found this podcast. Mm-hmm.